the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For those of you listening to the show for the first time, welcome. The show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing homes. The second part of the show, and they're not equal parts, but the second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion. Today, we're going to be talking a a little bit of history with H.W. Brands, who's got a book out about the Old West. And we're going to be talking to one of our frequent guests, Burgess Owens, who is a former safety for the New York Jets and played in the Super Bowl with the Oakland Raiders. And he's running for Congress in Utah. I was a little surprised about that, but let's see what Burgess has to say about his political campaign. Meanwhile, we'll take some questions about estate planning and elder law. And today we have my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. And one of the attorneys in our office, Kelly Decker. Hello, everybody. Kelly, we'll start with you first. Tell the audience a little bit about your background. Where'd you go to law school? Where did you live? Absolutely. My name is Kelly Decker. I am one of the estate planning slash estate attorneys at Connors and Sullivan. I've been here for almost two years, believe it or not. Time flies. I am originally from Fort Lauderdale. I moved to New York. I went to Binghamton University and got my Juris Doctorate from Toro Law School out in Long Island. So what's the question that you have to read today? It's a good question. I I think at one point or another, this will be relevant and necessary for everybody. Uh, It's regarding a health care proxy. So, Mr. Connors, my husband recently went into a hospital for surgery. I'm wondering if I need a health care proxy for him. As I am his wife, isn't that enough to make health care decisions for him? This is from Marilyn. The answer to the question is yes and no. First of all, the hospital, if you're going in for surgery, is ordinarily going to ask you to sign a health care proxy. They usually want one on record. If, let's say, it's a situation where the person can't make their own decisions, you, you know, because emergency surgery or whatever, yes, the wife on default would be the, the health care proxy, but it's always better to have the form signed. Yes, if there is no form signed, they will defer to the wife to make medical decisions. But also the healthcare proxy gives the wife the access to his medical records, which hopefully would put her in a better position to make the decisions. And you know, sometimes 
bureaucracies can be very difficult to deal with. You know, the husband's hospitalized, the wife wants to talk to the doctor, make medical decisions. Bureaucrat in the hospital may say, no, there's no health care proxy. We're not going to give you the medical record. So it, it, it's better, good planning. I mean, every time we do a will, we ask a client if they have a health care proxy or whether they want to sign a health care proxy. Because you want to choose the person to make the medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. And this goes back to the classic case of Terry Schiavo. You know, she was a relatively young woman. She was 35 years of age. She went into a coma. There was a dispute between the husband and her parents. The husband wanted to end feeding her, in effect, starve her to death. The parents wanted to keep her alive. It was his court dispute in Florida. I think a lot of you remember this. It took 14 years to get resolved through the court system. And you can avoid that if you have a health care proxy. You choose the person to make those medical decisions for you if you cannot speak for yourself. It's a relatively important document. You don't necessarily need a lawyer to do a healthcare proxy. Social workers do it at hospitals and nursing homes and so forth. But if, if you come into Connors and Sullivan, we do, you know, usually we do a package for you. We do a will, a financial power of attorney, and a medical power of attorney, in effect, a healthcare proxy. And we use usually do that as a package deal for you. You don't necessarily have to do it if you don't want to. But I urge that you think about a healthcare proxy. You want to choose the person to make those medical decisions for you if you can't speak for yourself. All right, next up, deck. My son, Michael. And, and Michael, what's your question you're reading? This question is from Kristen in Brooklyn. Dear Mr. Connors, my dad would like to gift me his car. He is currently on Medicaid. What are the repercussions, or are there any? Well, actually, a car, and this is a good question, a car is an exempt resource. So if your father gives away his car, there's usually no problem. One of the planning tools we use when somebody's going into a nursing home, and let's say somebody's got an extra thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, in their name and want to go to a nursing home and get Medicaid to pick up the bill. One of the things we're allowed to do is buy a car. We then can later give the car to, let's say, one of the children or a combination of your children, whatever, and save the money that you spent for the car from the nursing home. So let's say somebody's going to a nursing home. We spent all the money we legally can can spend. We've got thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 left. We buy a car. One of the family members can drive drive the car. Later on, we can give the car away to one of the family members, and we save that thirty, forty thousand dollars from nursing home bills. Now, if the car is worth more than fifty thousand dollars, or it brings in this case dad's estate over fifty thousand dollars, if he passes away, we may have to go through probate if the estate is worth more than fifty thousand dollars, and then Medicaid may be able to put a uh, claim on the car. So we want to keep the total estate solidly under $50,000. And some of you may say, hey, wait a minute, I thought last time you said $30,000. Well, that was changed a couple of weeks ago from 30000 to 50000 So if your estate is under $50,000, there's a simplified probate. Medicaid ordinarily does not pick up on that. Try to keep the total estate under fifty. Listen, we don't want any kind of probated estate at all, whether it's thirty or fifty. But if something happens, we buy the car right away and dad passes right away. We want to keep the total estate under $50,000. Otherwise, we could have to go through full probate one, and two, Medicaid might put a, a lien on it. You know, and, and I remember a few years ago, there was an article in the New York Times, and some of the people were at a seminars. There was an example where somebody bought a Bentley just before they were going to a nursing home, and I was asked, that work? Yes, it would. Now, of course, what do we do with the Bentley? And back then, you'd probably have to file a gift tax return if you gave it away. <laughs> there might be other complications. But yes, you can really buy a car from any amount. It's just we recommend that with the car that you buy, that the car is worth less if it entotals your estate of less than $50,000. And of course, if you buy a car for $40,000, you drive it off the lot. It's probably not worth more than $30,000 anyway. But it, it's one of the things you can do, even if somebody's going to a nursing home. It's one of the things we can do at the last minute to try to save assets. Now, each week 
our friend Kevin McCullough reads one of our questions from our listeners, and we read it for the benefit of Kevin's listeners. And you can listen to Kevin each Monday through Friday at 570 The Mission at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Monday through Friday at 970 The Answer at 5 o'clock. But Kevin also has an additional hour on Wednesdays because he's given part of his time to John Katzmatidis. So take it away, Kevin. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Every week we promise you that you'll get answers to your questions, at least one of them, from uh, Mike Connors of Connors & Sullivan, who rejoins us. Mike, today's question is, what is the difference between the look-back period and the penalty period, and how does the look-back period differ from home care Medicaid and nursing home Medicaid? Uh, Mike Connors, what say you? Okay, if somebody applies for a nursing home Medicaid, med- medical assistance to pay their nursing home bill, they have to document all their transactions for five years prior to their application for benefits. That's the five-year look-back period. From there, you impose a penalty period. Roughly, if you live in New York City, for every $12,000 you give away, you have to pay for one-month penalty to pay for a nursing home bill. So if somebody at the end of the five years gave away $100,000 within that five-year period, they would be assessed an eight-month penalty and they would have to pay the nursing home bill for, you know, eight months for those eight months, which yeah. at fifteen thousand dollars a month would be roughly uh, one hundred twenty thousand dollars in nursing home bills. All right, so now, friends, I, I, go I'm ahead. Sorry, the second part of the question: there is no look back period for home care Medicaid. The look back period only applies to nursing home Medicaid in New York State. Okay, that's simple, and uh, friends, I hope that is helpful, particularly if you're facing uh, this particular issue. And if you've got any other questions, uh, Connors and Sullivan, they're the best uh, around at uh, all things related to estate care and elder law. Call them today, get an appointment, talk to them about your situation, 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. You can also ask Mike a question. He's ready to answer it uh, here on Kevin McCullough Radio every Thursday uh, and on his own broadcast on uh, the weekends, uh, 8 a.m. on AM 570 and FM 102.3 uh, WMCA and uh, AM 970, The Answer. Uh, you can send those questions, by the way, to askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors at gmail.com. Mike Connors, thanks so much. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks again to Kevin McCullough. Kelly, we have one more question on the plan tonight. Can you read it to us? Sure. This question is from Jill. It says, hi, Mr. Connors. What is a lifetime discretionary trust? Well, basically, and you know, here's one of our problems sometimes. People give trust names, and the, the name of a trust is not important. What do you want to accomplish in the trust? But a lifetime discretionary trust would be something where somebody set up some assets, and the trustee has discretion on what to pay, what kind of bills to pay for the assets. So let's say for the sake of argument, uh, we have son who can't handle money very well, daughter can't ha- handle money very well, maybe they have a problem with drugs, whatever. So we set up a trust where the trustee has the discretion to pay so much of the principal or income for the benefit of the child. It also could be husband and wife. Sometimes we use it for tax purposes where the trustee can use the money to, to let's say the husband dies first, can use it for the benefit of the wife. It's discretion. There's some good things about it. I get a little nervous sometimes. Who's the trustee and who's going to use the discretion? If it's a family member you can implicitly trust, fine. I'm not crazy sometimes in institutions having discretionary trust because you ever go to a bank and it feels like it's their money, not yours. Well, that's what happens. But if you want to talk about that, you're more than welcome to to schedule an appointment with the Sakonis and Sullen. We can talk about it. And again, I can't stress this enough. We're not worried about what you call a trust. We worry about what does the trust accomplish. Some people try to sell you a book 
you know, in effect. And there are things in there. And if you read it half the time, 75% of the time, you can't make heads or tails of the book because page seven contradicts page 15, so forth and so on. And, and it's jumbled. It's a jumbled mess in a lot of cases. You want to trust written for your family, your circumstances. What do you want to accomplish? And we can accomplish it in the trust. You can do pretty much when people ask me at seminars, can I do this in a trust? Can I do that in the trust? The answer is almost always yes. Come in, we talk it over. After our conversation, we figure out what's best for you and your family, and then we go from there. All right, we're going to have to take a short break. And after that break, we're going to be listening to H.W. Brands talking about the history of the Old West. And then one of our Friends of Connor's Corner, Burgess Owens. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. When a desperate parent calls YCS, seeking help for their child with special needs... We are there to answer the call. Our staff provides compassionate care to children affected by trauma, autism, or developmental disabilities. Can you help us provide the services needed to keep families together? Find out how you, your company, or organization can volunteer. Learn more at YCS.org. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. A few months ago, we had historian professor H.W. Brands talking about the next generation of great American heroes or prominent politicians, but he's got a new book out. And it's about the American West. And, you know, sometimes I think, hey, we've got about 100 books on each day of the Battle of Gettysburg, but we really don't have that much about the West. So, Professor, what's your book about? It's a history of the American West. It covers the period from the beginning of the 19th century to the beginning of the 20th century. And the West, as I define it, is the part of the United States west of the Mississippi River. 
so from the Mississippi out to the Pacific. And it covers that time period because that's the time period that that region, before that it wasn't the American West, it was the Spanish West, it was the British West, it was the Mexican West. It's this period that it's an American West. I stop at the beginning of the 20th century because by then the West is very much less a distinctive place than it was in the era of the frontier. So again, the, the West is kind of shifting. You never, you don't go, you don't consider the West before the 18th century, let's say the Western part of the United States, Northwest Territories or something like that. I sort of raised that issue in explaining why I don't do it because originally the West was anything essentially beyond the boundary of Jamestown or of Plymouth Rock because all the West was unsettled from the standpoint of the English colonists. And so to write a history of the original West all the way to the Pacific would be to write no less than history of the United States. And I didn't want to do that. And also because, yeah, it was sort of the original American West. But if you say the American West to somebody today, they're thinking of California. They're not thinking of Kentucky. And so just in keeping with the, the way people understand the term the American West, it made the most sense then. The other thing is that while the earlier Western period, while the earlier frontiers moved gradually and consistently, those um, eras of an American West, the Kentucky was part of the American West for a relatively short space of time. Once you get to the Mississippi River, it's really for 100 years that that American West um, persists as this region apart. So I have enough time in the period from 1800 to 1900 to look at this region as a whole. If I looked at an earlier West, I could say Kentucky was West during the 1780s and 90s, but by 1800, it was no longer part of the West. The West had moved on. So I, I have this sort of uh, a target that's not moving so swiftly if I focus on the Trans-Mississippi West. All right. Now, let me ask you, how'd you come up with the title, Dreams of El Dorado? So I was trying to figure out what drew people to the West. And it was this idea that there was greater opportunity in the West. There was something out there in places like well, California, after the discovery of gold, the El Dorado, which was Spanish for the golden one. Originally, it referred to some man of gold, but then also a golden city. It was almost literally what they were looking for in California. And in fact, there are towns and mines in California that are called El Dorado. This was the place of gold. So it was explicitly these dreams of gold in California. But similar dreams drew people to Oregon. There was farmland in the Willamette Valley that people could get their hands on in a way that they wouldn't. The opportunity didn't exist in the East, but in the West, there was this chance to get in on the ground floor. El Dorado took the form of beaver furs in the era of fur trapping in the, the Rockies. And so I have a section in the book about the mountain men, the, the fur trappers. El Dorado took the form of buffalo for the buffalo hunters and of grazing land for the cattlemen in Dakota Territory. So for different people, El Dorado took different forms, but the dreams were always about this chance for economic opportunity, material advancement. They couldn't get at home. Either they didn't have the resources back home or they didn't have the time. You could, California again is the best example. You could make as much money in the gold fields in one season as you could earn back home in 10 years. So the West was this place where you could jumpstart your own personal dream. So these dreams of El Dorado, these dreams of opportunity, what draw people to the West, generation after generation. Now, they're dreams, and in the nature of dreams, not all of them pan out. 
So more people went to the West seeking El Dorado than actually found it. But sometimes what they found there was a different form of opportunity. Sometimes they discovered that what they liked about the West was not what they went there for. Most people went to California, for example, to hunt gold in the 1840s and 1850s. But when they got there, discovered this is a beautiful place. There's uh, farmland. There are opportunities for engaging in business. So often they would come for one version of the dream and stay for something else. Now, when you start talking about maybe colonization or exploration or whatever, I know you're in Texas. My wife's from Texas. What what about the the migration into Texas? One of the thing that drew people to Texas early on, that is the first Americans to come to Texas as colonists under Mexican authority. They came for land, and the, the land they wanted was farmland. It was an age of an agrarian economy in the United States, and what Texas had in abundance was lots of land, and the Mexican government was offering land to Americans who would come and colonize. And it seemed to be a deal that was almost too good to be true. Now, in fact, in some ways it was too good to be true because what most of the Americans who came under the auspices of this Mexican program was organized by people like Stephen Austin. What they didn't realize was they had to sign this agreement that said that they would fight against Indians in the event of Indian attacks on the Mexican and the Texan settlements. What they didn't realize was that for the Mexican government, that was the whole point of inviting the Americans in. Mexico was about to lose Texas to the invading Comanche Indians. They needed more bodies on the ground, and the, not enough people would go from Mexico to live in Texas, but the Americans seemed to be willing to do it. So the Mexicans, excuse me, the Americans in Mexican Texas would serve as a buffer against the Comanches, a buffer that would keep the Comanches from invading all the way into Mexico proper. Now, you talked about they had to sign agreements and everything. Did Mexico have any problem with immigration from Americans coming into Mexico or Texas back then? Well, for the legal immigrants, no problem at all. They were invited in, and they came in under Mexican authority, and they got land from Mexico. Mexico had a huge problem with illegal immigration from the United States. Because once the word got out that there was this land in Texas, then a lot of illegal immigrants came in. They simply crossed the Sabine River from Louisiana into Texas, into Mexican Texas. And the Mexican authorities sent a commission to the border between the United States and uh, between the United States and Mexico in the late 1820s. And although the, the head commissioner didn't quite say that we, you know, we really need to build a wall here to keep this illegal immigration under control. If he could have recommended it, he probably would have. But what he did say is unless we get a handle on this illegal immigration, Texas will be lost. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. Texas was lost to Mexico in the 1830s when all these Americans who came in decided they would wrest Texas away from Mexico and make it an independent republic and then eventually a state in the United States. How just do you think it was for the Americans to, to break away from Mexico? That sort of depends on which Americans and under what auspices they came to Texas. Stephen Austin came as a sincere expatriate from the United States. In fact, Stephen Austin was almost a founding citizen of the Mexican Republic. He arrived just as Mexico was breaking away from Spain. He taught himself Spanish, and his model of the future, his business model, was it was based on Texas being foreign territory for these Americans because the Americans coming in would require his services as go-between to work with the Mexican government. So he came in as an honest 
immigrant to Mexico. He thought he was leaving the United States never to return, and he was going to live the rest of his life as a citizen of Mexico, and that was fine with him. There were others who came in. In fact, the other of the two founding fathers of modern Texas, Sam Houston, Sam Houston came in for the express purpose of tearing Texas away from Mexico and, and making it part of the United States. That was his agenda. So how legitimate was the Vols? Well, again, it depends. If you were Sam Houston, you could say he intended it from the start, which would make it, maybe to a lot of people's view, illegitimate, because what had Mexico ever done to Sam Houston? On the other hand, if you were Stephen Austin, Stephen Austin objected not to the fact that Texas was part of Mexico, but that the rules had changed within Mexico in the time that he was there. He came in when Mexico was a republic, but it became a dictatorship under the president and general Santa Ana. And Santa Ana threw Stephen Austin in jail for over a year. And by the time he got out of it, he said, well, wait, this is not the, the Mexico that I intended to enter. This is a dictatorship. And so he could take the position in Texas, we are simply staging the kind of revolt against the Mexican government that the American colonies staged against George III in the 1770s. In fact, that connection was drawn again and again. So the Texas Revolution was patterned on the American Revolution. In the case of Stephen Austin, it was an honest parallel. In the case of people like Sam Houston, it was an excuse for something that they had intended to do from the beginning. All right. Let me ask you, we talked about the California gold rush. We talked about the Texas Revolution. What other parts of the West do you highlight in your book? What are some of the interesting stories you can give us? Well, one of the characteristic features of Western history during this time was the consistent violence that took place in the West. Now, a lot of the violence was directed against the Native Americans, but it wasn't the, when the the whites came to the West. They didn't invent violence. Violence had been endemic in the West. So, for example, as I mentioned, the Mexican government needed protection against the Comanches. The Comanches had already driven out other tribes in Texas, and they were going to take over all of Texas. So violence was central to the history of the West. And a large part of the violence reflected the fact that during much of this time, the West was literally outside the law. It, there weren't organized governments. So one of the things that happened that made California, example, for example, not only a place where you could have a gold rush, nobody owned the gold. So it was there for whoever got there first and grabbed it. It was also a very violent place. Violence took place against the Indian tribes of California. Violence took place among the miners. People would just sort of grab what they could. And there was no legal system, no set of legal authorities to prevent that from happening. In places like San Francisco, a big city by this time, even there, the law-keeping systems were not working. And so they had vigilance committees. These are outraged, ordinary citizens who would take the enforcement of laws into their own hands, and they would hang the people who were responsible for the violence. So one of the reasons that I end my story when I do at the end of the 19th century is by then, the entire West is under either the government of state governments or, in a couple of places, territorial governments. So the old outlaw West has ended by the beginning of the 20th century. But for much of the 19th century, it is in this, in this state of being beyond laws. So violence is a large part of it. Another part of the story is the building of the Transcontinental Railroad, for example. And it was the first major infrastructure project sponsored by the federal government. And it was exceedingly visionary. It, it demonstrated what the government can do to hold the nation together and also to create the first really continental single economic market. 
This was the secret of America's economic success. By the beginning of the 20th century, the United States had the most powerful economy in the world. And it was not that American inventors were smarter than other people or American workers worked harder than other people. It was because the United States had this continent-wide single market. It was guaranteed legally by the U.S. Constitution, but it was guaranteed geographically and logistically by the Transcontinental Railroad. On this show, we've talked about one of the New York City police commissioners in the late in the 1890s, Theodore Roosevelt. And you kind of end your book in the Theodore Roosevelt era. That guy pops up everywhere. So (laughs) Theodore Roosevelt is an example of somebody who understood both uh, the dream of the West, the dream of El Dorado. In his case, he wanted to become a cattle baron in Dakota territory, but he also understood the mystique of the West. In fact, part of the story that I tell is that the West gradually moves from reality to myth, and Roosevelt comes along as the reality is fading and the myth is building up. And Roosevelt was this silk-stocking New Yorker. He grew up in New York. He really lived his life in New York, but he spent a little time in the West. He had this ranch for a while until he went bankrupt and got rid of it, but It really changed not only Roosevelt's perception of himself, but Americans' perception of Roosevelt. Roosevelt would not have had that vote-drawing power if he hadn't spent time in the West, if he didn't present himself as a man of the West. Even then as now, it was difficult for somebody who was just identified as a New Yorker alone to generate much support beyond the Hudson River. Roosevelt could present himself as a man of the West, and all of a sudden he had this national appeal. And Roosevelt, at the very beginning of the 20th century, was the most powerful vote-getter in American political history until that time, a large part because of the connection in the public mind to this man of the West. He was the cowboy. He had become the soldier, the leader of the Rough Riders, the man on horseback. That was a huge deal and a huge part of his success. Why has the West become so part of our nature? Why, you know, the myth of the West, I guess, but why is that? America has always fancied itself the, the nation of the future. Americans are more forward-looking than a lot of other countries, in large part because we don't have a deep history like France or Spain. We just started in 1776. And so if you can't look back, you look forward. And the future has always been located geographically in the West. The West was this place where individuals could go. If things got bad wherever they were, they could move West and they could start over again. And the West was the the future of America as a country. The Western boundary kept moving to the West. And when it finally hit the Pacific, Americans fought and looked beyond the Pacific Ocean into Asia. So Americans have always associated the West with America's future. And as long as America has been a country that looks to the future, that thinks that the future is going to be American, then that future always has had this strong Western tinge to it. The name of the book, Dreams of El Dorado, The History of the American West, the author, Professor H.W. Brands. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Great to talk with you again. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. 
My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646 and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. We're coming up to an election this year. Congressional elections are very important. We're very happy to have an old friend of the show who we've learned now is running for Congress. The old friend is Burgess Owens, former safety for the New York Jets. Welcome to Connors Corner. Thank you so much, Gav. I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. Absolutely. Why did you decide to run for Congress and where are you running? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, first of all, I'm one of those guys uh, who literally for years said never, ever would I run for po- political office. I've always thought that the answers would be on the, the free market uh, as, a, as an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm now out in, um, in uh, Salt Lake City, and I've been working for the last couple of years with at-risk kids, uh, those who are coming out of the, the juvenile system, trying to get a second chance, um, needing a second chance, needing some hope. And, and it's something that's been on my heart for about 30 years since I left NFL. What I recognized a few months back is that my kids here in Utah, our kids across our country, whether it be California, Baltimore, Chicago, you name it, do not have a ghost of a chance as long as the leftists continue to maintain control of the house. Uh, I, I know what their end game is. They don't see very much potential. Matter of fact, that they, they see our kids as um, as uh, as tools. Uh, once they can get them to uh, use views and, uh, and, uh, and discard them, they will eventually vote Democrats. They have no hope. So uh, this is my way of um, entering the arena. That I think I can make a difference. Uh, we we have a, a plus thirteen um, district here in in Salt Lake City. It is a plus thirteen Republican. It was it was actually held by uh, Mia Love a couple years ago. And, uh, and and the Democrats came along with a message that they will be moderates. And so they have not been moderates. The, the Democrat, the Ben McAdams, that voted uh, 87% with uh, AOC and Pelosi. Uh, I think this is a chance for my district to really make a difference in our, in our nation's uh, direction. Uh, it is important. As a matter of fact, it's noted as either one or two 
in terms of getting the house back will actually need. It's going to be a struggle to get the house back, but every single one counts, and this will be one or two to make that happen. So I'm excited about it. By the way, uh, Burgess for Utah, for those who like to support me, uh, you know, I, I, I look at my campaign very simply. There's the theme of it is America Together Wins. Uh, we have always been, we the people, a, a, a people that once, once we wake up, we do nothing but win, 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 as we're doing right now. And I'm looking forward to being part of that. So for those who like to, to join my efforts and, and help us to win out against the Democrats, to get in the House, to bring our values, our American values to our country, and not the D.C. values, uh, please support me at BurgessForUtah.com. The Trump administration, I, I think you can see they've done an awful lot for African-Americans in this country. Do you think he's going to get a greater percentage of the African-American vote in this next election? Absolutely. No question about it. Uh, and I'll say this, uh, guys. I, I I know the narrative has been very negative about uh, President uh, Trump. I, I tell you what, I, I, see, I see President Trump and people across our country like him. Uh, if there's a friend of the black community, a friend of our country is a friend of mine. And there's one thing about President Trump. He's come out from the very beginning pointing out exactly what he's going to do. Matter of fact, what got my attention, I used to be a cruise guy, what got my attention was the 10 points uh, that he put together for, uh, for, for the urban America, the, for the 10 promises. He's held every single one of them. And, uh, yes, we were at 6%, I think, uh, I'm sorry, 12% of the black, uh, uh, black men in America were for candidate Trump. We're now to 35% that are for President Trump and the reason why is because he's winning. He's given us jobs. He's given us opportunities. He's given the family a chance to, to finally come back again. He's fighting against the abortionists. Uh, those things, the, the, the things that the Democratic Party has done to destroy our family unit. Uh, he's doing everything he's promised to do. He's bringing back jobs for our country, which President Obama uh, once noted that it would take a magic wand to do, where he has his magic wand, uh, which he's put in place. And I'm excited about the fact that the black Americans are finally waking up. I've been a conservative now all my life, but I've been a Republican for the last 30, 36 years. And, and I'm just so thankful to see these young people and old waking up and realizing that uh, we have a friend with uh, President Trump and the Republican Party and the people that have done the worst damage to our party have been Democrats. So I'm excited about uh, us waking up to that and we're being bold and stepping forward and, and making a difference this year. You know, one thing I know you appreciate history and you've talked to our audience about history. And uh, first, Margaret Sanger, abortion. She was the, the founder of Planned Parenthood. What has been her effect on the black community over the last, whatever, 100 years? It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, she's an she's abortionist. She's a Democrat. Uh, she hated black people. Uh, she thought abortion was a way to uh, eliminate the weeds in our society. And they have done, they have, they have, they have actually been uh, responsible for the, the, lives, the loss of lives of 20 million black babies since 1973, where abortionists put 80% of their, their laboratories in the black community. Uh, no, it, it's, if I can, if I can say this, that will help help our country to recognize what it will take to bring us back. And there's four tenets. The four tenets that uh, that were put in place that were recognized by Booker T. Washington, who's one of the greatest Americans in our in our history. Uh, not I didn't say black. I said black, greatest American. Uh, because of his his uh, his legacy, these tenets that he put in place. The black community in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, what people don't realize, led our country in the growth of the middle class, led our country in terms of men committed to marriage over 70%, led our country in terms of men uh, matriculating from college and entrepreneurs over 40%. So, and I live that, by the way, in deep south uh, Tallahassee. 
So the, the message I want to give America is those four tenets are very simply head, heart, hands, and home. Head is education, heart is God, service, compassion, hands is industry, free market, home is family. Those four tenets, I don't care which race, which culture, adheres to that. That's the American way. They will experience the American dream, and we did so. I'll say this, too. As we talk about that, no matter what part, what side of the aisle we're on, people who love America, as we talk about those four tenets, we realize we have more in common than we don't, than not. We also recognize who the enemy is. The enemy is those who hate hands hard, hands at home. The ones that hate that are the socialists and Marxists that have woven their way within the Democratic Party. They do everything they can to not educate those that are at risk. They do everything that, uh, to get rid of God and, when, and their platform and what they do with other people. They love for us to be dependent on government versus being independent on ourselves and self-sufficient, and they will destroy the family unit in a heartbeat. They did it with the black, black American family, and they're now doing it throughout our country with all these crazy, nut, nutty policies they're putting in place that, that turns everything upside down. So um, the, the answer to that question is we have a chance to really bring things back, but adhering to what makes America work, head, education, heart, God, hands, uh, uh, free, free market, self-efficiency, and home, the family unit. Let's get back to having those kind of discussions. If we do that, we'll find out who our friends are and who our enemies are. Let me ask you, do you have any comments about the current impeachment mess? Absolutely. It's, it's typical of what happens when you take God out of our, 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 our country. You have people who have no, have no sense of rule of law. They, they make things up as they go, and it has no sense of fairness. That's what happens when you have a godless ideology of socialism and Marxism. What these guys are doing, very simply, we have a, a country now that's doing better than we have had in forever in some cases. We've never had this lowest amount of, amount of, 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 um, of unemployment and poverty in the black community. We, the highest um, of growth, 400% growth in, in business ownership. I mean, across the board, it has been a great experience for America. And yet these Democrats, and all their time trying to destroy the man who's putting our, our, our country back in place. It's because they have a lot to hide. Uh, what we're going to find out as time goes on is it, look behind the curtains when it comes down to Democrats, when it comes down to the socialists and Marxists. It's not what we see. It's what they're trying to hide. They're trying to hide what they've done in the, through the Obama years of weaponizing every single government entity against we the people, whether it be the DOJ, the, the FBI, uh, the IRS, they have done everything they can to use their power to destroy people who do not agree with their, their ideology. So that's what they're trying to hide. And as time goes on, and as President Trump gets his next four years, I, mean, I tell you, we're going to find out all the termites that's been undermining our, our, our foundation for all of these decades. You're going to find them, the deep state, people who have no, should not have, are not elected to office, but hide behind bureaucracy to, to, to use their power. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to find some good things out, and I'm just thankful that we're finally going to have people being held accountable, which I hope is going to happen, and American people realizing that the impeachment is a sham from the very beginning to the very end. Now, listen, I know a lot of people out there would criticize you because you're supporting a racist, Donald Trump. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> you know, I, it, you know it's, it's, it's interesting those people who bring racism, racism up all the time, the people who will continually – uh, trying to divide us between uh, right, uh, you know, white and black, and 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 our, our religion—they're dividing us every every way they possibly uh, do so. The same party, by the way, has brought nothing but misery to the black community. They target us for abortion, for keeping our kids not being able to work and unemployed. I mean, you go to the listing of things that the Democratic Party does, and what do they do? 
when we finally began to come from beneath the darkness and get hope, they call anybody who disagrees with them racist. The same people that point everybody out, everybody, the differences in, in, our, in our color and everything else. So I, I, I don't mind it. And, and to be honest with you, it's a, it's a badge of courage now, badge of honor to be called names by the leftists. That means that we're finally, and I've always thought about this, Chris, I've wondered for years uh, when I wasn't being attacked if I was really doing my job. And now, thank goodness, uh, I'm beginning to recognize that people are paying attention to the message of, of what we the people can do and that America together wins. And those who disagree with that by dividing us are losing. And they, it's driving them nuts. They, have, they don't know what to do with it because they have a president who could care less about what they say, what they think, and the, and the power that they think they have. Being a former NFL player, you know, a guy who played in a Super Bowl champion, is that going to be an asset for you in your campaign? You know, not not really. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The things that really, it's, it's not going to be my, my, my NFL experience, even though it's going to have people to pay attention somewhat. It's not going to be my color. Uh, it's not going to be my age. It's going to be the things that I choose. Like, I choose to be a proud American. I choose to believe in our Constitution. I choose to look at people from the inside out, not outside in. Uh, I choose to, to be very proud of my, my background, the race I come from. And, and important to that, I point to what we the people have done to help my race and my race to help other people to move forward. So it's going to be the things that I choose to do, not the things that I have no, uh, 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 you know, I have no say on my color, my, my background. I mean, it is what it is. And uh, I hope that my, and my background informs me. To, re- to be able to relate to Americans who love our country and want to move us forward. I'm going to ask you one last question. What is going to be some of the critical issues that you're going to face in your campaign? Those issues will always go back to those four tenets. Everything. Head, heart, hands, and home. I'm big time on education. I grew up in an educated family. I understand the power it brings with education. I believe in God. I think our country will always have a, a compassion as long as we fight for him and not allow those leftists to, to uh, intimidate us. I think independence and being a, a you know, free people that look in the mirror and say, I am producing, I have value, we need to be self-sufficient, and the family unit has to be one that we fight for. Men and women who want to raise their kids and raise their kids, not have the government raise their kids in a, in a, in a way that respects authority, respects women, respects God, respects our country, respects our flag, that's the kind of family that can bring our country back. And it's not going to be the elitist who care less about others because they're doing just fine. So those are four tenants. Every policy I will be fighting for will be underneath those, those tenants, and I think Americans, in particular those here in this area, will, 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 will like that. Again, Burgess for Utah. I was going to ask you that, yeah. That. Burgess for Utah. Burgess for Utah. be important. And listen, yeah. I just want to throw this out. You know, and, and some of us out in, here in New York, exception where we are in uh – in, in Brooklyn, Staten Island. But a lot of us in New York, we don't have a congressional candidate to back. There's no opposition to the Democrats. So no. it's a national election. Every Republican we can get elected across the country is going to help. It's a, you, you can explain it. What's the, what, why do we need to take the majority? This is a fight. We're fighting for the heart and soul of our country, guys. And we now understand what happens when we have a, 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 a president in a House and in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a Senate that loves our country, that's the majority. We have to get this, the House back, guys. If we don't, we'll have more impeachments. We'll have more of this, this destruction and, and, uh, and, and, and the wall building against us. So for, for New Yorkers who, who do not have right now someone that will stand in your corner, support me. 
I will make sure that we get our values back to the house. We win the house back. And believe me, everybody wins, including New Yorkers. <laughs> so so uh, being a New Yorker for so many years, guys, I'm with you. I really understand your pain. So let's get this thing done with. And uh, support me for $20, $100, whatever you can do, it makes a difference. We're actually up against uh, our, our reporting uh, date tomorrow. So please uh, do so. And believe me, uh, when I get to, to Congress, I will fight for Utah. I'll fight for the rest of the country. And I'll fight for my, my, uh, my initial state of, of New York to, to make sure we move our, our country forward and win this battle against the, the, the evil of socialism. Old-time New York Jet fans, here's the time to say thank you for Burgess for the years he gave us. <laughs> thank you, guys. I'm still pulling for you. One day, we'll come back, right? <laughs> Let's hope so. Make the Jets great again. <laughs> Just win, baby. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Listen, have a good one. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, now accompanied by my son, Michael. Hello, everyone. Burgess Owens. I know, you know, Michael, you're too young to remember Burgess Owens as a player. You know, I'm very happy that he's running for Congress in Utah, and I hope, I really do hope he wins this race. Yeah. Because he's, a, you know, a great student of history. We talked about history with him more than a few times on previous shows, including Black History Month. We've, we've had him on for that. He obviously cares about this country. Let's root for Burgess Owens. And all you old Jet fans, you want to give him something back again? <laughs> make a contribution to his uh, campaign. Again, make the Jets great again, but Absolutely. let's get Burgess Owens in, in Congress. Yeah. Now, just Civil War Roundtable. Because of scheduling conflicts, we can't have our speaker, Jay Jorgensen, on the show. But there's going to be a meeting, and it's going to be at a new place and time and date. It's going to be at the Coffee House Club on 20 West 44th Street. So the speaker is going to be Jay Jorgensen, who's going to be talking about General Lee. The cost for non-members is $60. Again, it's at the Coffee House Club, Tuesday, January 14th. Different day of the week, different day of the month. And make sure you RSVP by a week ahead of time. Right. And if you want reservations, you got to call at 718-341-9811. So make sure if you want to go to the Civil War Roundtable, you call for reservations first. Getting back to our show, you know, and and Chris, Chris Cordani, 
you know, Facebook. I see sometimes people like us on Facebook. And I look at some of the YouTube interviews, you know, and I, I was surprised to see some of the things that were there. Can you tell us, one, about our YouTube page, and two, about how to like us on Facebook? Well, first, you'll like us on Facebook by going on the Facebook page, Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. It's right there. There's a nice picture of Mike on the front with a microphone. How about that? Mike and the microphone. That, that's that's a pretty good one. <laughs> you just like the page. You can uh, put the thumbs up there and follow what we're doing. We'll even put... Well, we'll put what's happening the next couple of weeks on the program, what happened recently, things that are going on with uh, Connors and Sullivan around the community, plus... Some YouTube videos of your classic interviews. That's on our YouTube channel. You can find that on YouTube, of course. It's Ask the Lawyer, Connor's Corners Conversations. Now, is Wilfred Brimley going to be up there? Wilfred Brimley is going to be posted very soon. He was quite happy with your interview. <laughs> he wrote back and said he had a lot of fun doing it. And he was happy to talk about his uh, days as a real cowboy, by the way, Mike. Okay, well, I... To me, you know, it was one of my favorite interviews, and I like those old character actors. I don't know, a couple of years from now, I don't know who we're going to interview because all those old character actors seem to be fading on. And I, maybe I'm wrong, but in today's world, I don't know of that many character actors who are really characters the way it used to be back in the old days. And I think Wilfred Brimley is almost one of the last of the, the old character actors. Well, we'll try and keep thinking of him. Okay, again, one last thought. Remember, it's an election year. Burgess Owens running for Congress. In Utah, we're going to have another congressional candidate on this next week, Buzz Patterson, who used to carry the football for Bill Clinton. Yeah. Different kind of football, though. That was the nuclear football. So that would have been the codes for any kind of launch in case of an emergency. That's one that hopefully we never have to use. Well, I think Mr. Kincaid is telling us good night. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.